0: Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go, brought to you by the attorneys of Crowe and Dunleavy. The following should not be understood as or considered a substitute for legal advice. Visit CroweDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Adam Childers, with the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy, back once again with that podcast known as Briefly Legal. Today is another day here in the crow's nest in Oklahoma City, where I get to talk to someone about an area of the law that is new to me, but exciting, I hope, for all of our audience members. Today, I'm going to be talking to my law partner, Jay Shanker, and I'm going to be talking to him about entertainment law. So I'm really excited to have him here. It's a timely topic for reasons that we're going to discuss. But first, Jay, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. them, it's nice to
1: sit across the table from you, and not just bump into in the elevator every other day.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Who knew that we'd be sitting here today enjoying the, the sweltering weather outside and taping episode number 17 of Briefly Legal. It's exciting times, and I'm glad you're here. When I think about entertainment law, I, I want to harken back just for a second to a high school trip I took when I was in uh, Guthrie. And I remember uh, there was a little uh, stool sitting there on a curbside next to a a little storefront on Main Street there with a little sign, and it said, Dustin Hoffman sat here. And I uh, figured out after the fact that was because uh, part of Rain Man, which was a 1980s uh, great, in my mind, at least, with Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise in it, had actually been shot there uh, in Guthrie. And it sort of captured my imagination. I thought, boy... Uh, You don't see that every day, films being made in Oklahoma. But these days, uh, you know, I can't open up Facebook or any social media platform without... Hearing about Leonardo DiCaprio's sightings at a local uh, Oklahoma City restaurant or seeing uh, more information about uh, director Martin Scorsese's film that he's making in Pawhuska and Fairfax, Oklahoma, based on the bestselling book, Killers of the Flower Moon. And, of course, if, for those of you working in downtown Oklahoma City area, you can't help but notice that the old Cox Convention Center is now called prairie surf media. So needless to say, there's a lot going in Oklahoma when it comes to the entertainment industry. And so Jay, I'm glad you're here to tell us more about some of these new developments in the industry and just what the industry entails in terms of the law. And it's good to have Jay here to help us with this topic because uh, he is no stranger to entertainment law. Jay is a veteran of the entertainment industry. He joined Crow and Dunleavy in 2017. But although he's been with us for the last four years, he practiced law in Los Angeles from 1981 through 2005, and he returned as a native Oklahoman, returning to our state in 2005. So obviously, his career spans a lot of years. And during those years, he's represented public, private, and not-for-profit companies, along with producers, directors, writers, actors, musical and visual artists, industry executives, and entrepreneurs. His individual clients over the years have garnered prestigious international awards in every major creative media, including the Oscars, Emmys, the Grammys. Clio Awards, you know, all the way across the board. That's exciting stuff, Jay. Uh, I feel like I have a lot of talented clients, but I can't say that they all have those on their mantles. So congratulations on having such a, a wonderful base of clientele to take care of it's over been, the years. It's been fun. Thank you. I bet it has. So let's jump right on into it because I am intrigued by the surge of uh, cinema in Oklahoma, but I think that the place really to start for our audience is just talking about what it is that an, an entertainment lawyer does. So, big big question with, I'm sure, a lot of answers, but guide us through what the life of an entertainment lawyer entails.
1: Well, I, for most in the audience, you think about entertainment it's what you consume in your free time to relax and you know stimulate your imagination. And although it's a creative industry, it is the entertainment business. So in the same way lawyers provide services in every other business and industry that we're all involved with or as lawyers serve, the entertainment business is a soup to nuts range of activities and opportunities that really cover the waterfront in terms of legal disciplines. So I'm a generalist, as specific as an entertainment lawyer may seem to non-lawyers or others in the, in the legal community here and in communities where entertainment is not a, a focus or a mainstay. But I, you know, I, I sort of joke all the fingers and on the toes, and I still can't count the specific areas in which I may dabble or have some expertise. Uh, contracts towards litigation, constitutional law when First Amendment issues come up, oh, yeah. uh, communications law, the uh, Federal Communications Commission issues for any kind of commercial public broadcasting. Uh, there's labor and employment issues, bankruptcy, corporate securities, antitrust, tax, trust and estates, immigration, uh, in addition to just the traditional intellectual property, copyright, trademark, that kind of stuff that you know people would typically assume come up when you're talking about a book or a movie or a stage play or a piece of music. So I'm a generalist. I issue spot. And then in a firm like this one with nearly 150 attorneys, there's always an, a specialist or an expert that can jump in whenever I've hit uh, either the range of my time availability or, or my expertise in a particular topic. And that's been among the pleasures of being you know, with this firm because I was operating in solo and small boutique entertainment firms that only did the pure entertainment work in Los Angeles and would farm out a lot of work that clients would invariably need from project to project.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm listening to that list and thinking to myself, no one person, no one attorney could cover all of that. And left off that list, you've mentioned this burgeoning new studio studio opportunities in Oklahoma,
1: or I can assure you, a lot of real estate work.
0: Oh, absolutely um, you know, involved in those transactions. So. Well, and I understand that in addition to practicing law, you've also done some teaching. In fact, I know that you are an author and an editor for The Essential Guide to Entertainment Law. I think there's a deal-making and intellectual property versions of those books. Tell us about your experiences there. Oh,
1: thanks. uh, When I left Los Angeles in 2005, I got involved in a book project called uh, uh, Entertainment Law and Business that had been around for a number of years, the founding author uh, who had been represented British invasion bands, and then migrated his practice to Broadway producers, had passed away, and there was an opportunity to take over the editorial work on that book. It morphed in 2015-18 into this two-volume set. Uh, We enlisted Kirk Schroeder, who's uh, one of the APA's Sports and Entertainment Law Forum executives, and I assembled about 18 other specialist experts in various areas of entertainment law, including film, television, music, Uh, live stage, tax law, video games, reality television, etc. And um, those two volumes are available online at www.eg2el.com. And that site also uh, features a bibliography with about 36 pages of books, articles, links to useful information trade organizations. So whether you are a An executive in this field or a lawyer practicing or interested in practicing or just someone entering the field through graduate school and whatever discipline, there's something there for you. And the books, uh, as I like to say, you buy both books and uh, almost 2,400 pages of material for a lot less than a half hour with any of the lawyers Who've contributed. So, I'd, I'd like to say it's a bargain.
0: And uh, Well, good. I'm glad you told us about that. We're going to make sure to put a link up with this podcast to make certain that our audience can get access to that. It uh, sounds like a valuable resource. So, let's switch gears for a moment here. I'm listening to all this and the depth of your expertise, and I'm thinking, well, it would make sense for uh, your career to have begun and to have spanned a lot of years in Los Angeles. But, of course, now you're in, you know, Oklahoma City, and, uh, you know, I think that that would lend itself really to kind of an international and national practice, but things seem to be changing. What percentage of your work was outside of the state, and is that is that changing now in these past few years?
1: Well, I came home in two thousand five with a book of business that I developed over twenty five years in Los Angeles, and although it sort of you know, predated our COVID experiences with you know Web and Zoom related business around the world, where people were working from home and didn't necessarily know where they were. It was less true in 2005. I kept a Los Angeles phone number, and I dare say a lot of people that I deal with, you know, from that number during the day don't know where I am. It sort of started ironically when I was thinking about the move. I had a small transaction but involved a number of phone calls with somebody, and it, typically I'd call in the afternoon. Would hear tinkling glasses in the background and think this guy was a, <laughs> you know, four martini in the afternoon guy. And instead, I realized well, he disclosed to me at the end of the conversations when the deal closed that. He had a summer home in Gestad and I was reaching him at dinner, you know, oh, at an outdoor, really an right outdoor restaurant. So it sort of established for me then that the move was was feasible. And as uh, you know, virtual technologies increased. Uh, you know, all of us can do very much of what we do from any place in the world, as long as we're attentive and we're willing to stay up the extra hours. Whether it's starting the day with calls from London and Europe early in the morning, or staying up to you know catch the last call from Los Angeles two hours behind us, and I've tried to do that. My um, joke with Los Angeles clients over the years is I'm. Getting up two hours earlier every day to take care of your business. <laughs> so it's service, service with a smile. Um, but what's happened in so about eighty percent of my work had historically been outside the state, and even the Oklahoma work tended to be from peers, uh, people I'd grown up with, whose kids were in the business, who, who had an opportunity to invest in a project and wanted the comfort of someone that they'd known for a long time, rather than getting on the phone to Los Angeles or New York or sure, you know, Nashville uh, to deal with someone they didn't know. Often at a price point that exceeded you know, what we're able to charge in Oklahoma. What's happened, though, over the last really six months, and it's evolving now, the state, when I arrived, had a $3 million rebate pool trying to compete with other states to attract filmmaking here. And that was a once, it was funded, topped off every year at $3 million, use it or lose it. And films that came here could get a rebate of up to 35% on their qualifying Oklahoma expenditures. Uh, that amount several years back went up to $8 million. Still wasn't enough to attract big films. In fact, one big film could exhaust the whole pool. Oh, absolutely. And smaller filmmakers then would be stuck with their plans having to go someplace else, even if they were Oklahoma-based. So Governor Stitt enacted legislation early this summer that increased that to $30 million. There is a special fund available for larger projects like the Scorsese project you've mentioned. Mm -hmm. So they don't necessarily tap the entire amount either. Seven and a half million of that is dedicated to smaller films, two and a half million dollars or less, I believe. Uh, And the rest is, you know, available for a pool. And uh, depending on, you know, how that money is expended in Oklahoma, the filmmakers can either find a lender against the projected rebate or essentially kick back anywhere from 20 to 35% of that spend to their investors as an early return. And it makes filmmaking in Oklahoma quite attractive. The challenge here is studio space is growing, which is great. Film crews need to grow considerably to basically support that level of, of work and production. Uh, the state's justification for that and surveys around the country where, you know, states have engaged in this, whether it's rebates or tax incentives or direct investment, is you can generate anywhere from five to $8 to one for every dollar state subsidy investment in these programs. So it's competitive with bringing in an auto business or aerospace or biotech or anything else in that regard. Uh, and it's a great engine for for job training and industry development.
0: Well, something must be working. They must have hit the right number. Because- so that,
1: that with that number, we're starting to get calls from companies, big companies, small companies, first timers, experienced production companies, and and major players uh, looking to tap some of that money and bring their projects here.
0: Absolutely. And
1: uh, it's you know for for lawyers and accountants and you know other professionals as well as filmmakers. Uh, it could be a real bonanza in the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, it's exciting times. I'm I'm thinking back just the last. Few months, or even over the course of the last year, I know I've seen film crews in downtown Oklahoma City shooting uh, a Ronald Reagan bio. I, I, I've seen uh, the, Reagan or, the Reagan movie was one of our projects. Yeah, here at yeah. The I, I, And there was uh, even uh, the Kurt Warner story. I, I think they were shooting a Super Bowl over there in the in the Cox Convention Center. I think
1: that was their first first booking at the studio down the street.
0: That's that. It's just amazing. It's a it's a whole new world to be sure. And and you mentioned you know kind of the bonanza that comes with this a little bit of a a land run, really. But let's talk about kind of the impact that has for the state. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, see Leo DiCaprio out at, you know, a a local restaurant. But, you know, let's talk about all the other categories of jobs that come with a production of a movie. And talk to me, if you would, about what kind of jobs those are and, and what kind of impact that may have long term for the, you know, the state's economy and even, you know, population growth.
1: Absolutely, and it's a good question. Uh, Anybody who, you know, of course, for many of us, we haven't been in theaters for a while, and when we're at home watching something on Netflix or any of the other streaming services, we tend not to see, you know, those 15 minutes of credits at the end that you can sit through in a movie theater. But when you think about all those credits, each line of that, each name, is is someone who's you know significantly contributing to a motion picture. And in the case of the Marvel movies, for example, with lots of special effects shot around the world hundreds, if not you know, a thousand credits at the end. All of those are jobs, good paying jobs. And many of those can be performed by people in Oklahoma who are likely to move to Oklahoma if there's steady work available. And that goes from uh, directors, writers, screenwriters, to some extent, uh, novelists who may write about Oklahoma or some theme that people want to explore here uh, and make movies about it. The, the Flower Moon movies, great case in point in terms of an Oklahoma story. But it's down to what we call craft services, which is you know, food delivery, it's truck drivers, it's transportation, it's hoteliers, it's the restaurants that people frequent after hours, it's the, the people that do costuming that may then have to go to a thrift store to find clothing for a period piece or a contemporary piece, or they go to a major department store to do that buying. It's the you know, car rental companies, I mentioned hotels, uh, it's electricians, it's people to do set stage design, the categories of people that work on films in various areas the director's unit, the photography unit, the lighting unit, the electrical unit, the sound unit. It can be immense. And even on a small film, it's maybe a student film, $50,000 project that somebody's aunt or uncle, you know, has, has decided to fund for, for their graduation for credit and a calling card. Uh, there can be 30 or 40 people working on those little movies over the course of several weeks. So it's a big employment driver and Oklahoma really is stepping up on several levels. We've had the Oklahoma City Community College, Gray Frederickson, an Academy Award winner for his work with Francis Coppola on the Godfather movies, came back before I did and started a tremendous film training program there. Many of the national filmmakers who've worked with graduates of that program have been very clear that these kids are as accomplished and experienced in what they're doing as anybody coming out of uh, USC or NYU or the American Film Institute, UCLA, in large part because they get a chance to do hands-on work on so many projects in Oklahoma. And those opportunities are only increasing I think it'll be a year or two before we catch up with an adequate crew base of locals. But in the meantime, I suspect there's going to be enough work here to attract a lot of expatriate Oklahomans back for quality of living, cost of living here, the convenience of working in Oklahoma, not having to be away for months at a time, away from family to to make a living. And, uh, And meanwhile, we will be training people to step up and and fill those slots. It'll be a real industry here in a year or two.
0: It's exciting stuff. I'm I'm, I'm picturing kind of a reverse grapes of wrath. Uh, those California uh, denizens come on back. With the fires in the water, we now call it the wrath of grapes. Yeah, so. There you go. Exactly. Well, that is an exciting glimpse into the future. And obviously, uh, just the host of legal issues that are implicated by every aspect of a burgeoning movie production, you know, growth here in Oklahoma. Let's put a capper on this, Jay, and and, uh, it's a pretty positive one, I think. Let's just talk about then, you know, what the future in terms of the arts uh, in Oklahoma generally looks like. Obviously, that's a broader lens than just the movie industry we've been talking about. But uh, do you see this as sort of a renaissance for Oklahoma in general?
1: Yeah, let me – before we jump there so I don't forget, for anyone interested in this field, uh, if you'll Google the Oklahoma Film and Music Office, uh, they will have statutes and the rules for uh, engaging with these rebates. And uh, they also post lists of talented crews, personnel, facilities, resources. So if you are either someone interested in performing these services or learning how to do this work, or you're a producer or someone who's going to be consuming these services and want a list of of eligible people or resources – The state's film office uh, offers a tremendous compendium for that kind of information. Fantastic. Um, As far as people that are involved in these businesses uh, tend to have some sort of creative mindset, not exclusively, because as I said earlier, it is a business. But the point is where people come to Oklahoma City from out of town, prominent actor, actress, filmmaker, they want to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma City, they want to be in communities where after they finish working at night, they can unwind, they can enjoy themselves. They'd like to see good restaurants. They'd like to see a play. They'd like to listen to great music. All this will create additional demands in and across Oklahoma for our, you know, our artists and creative class to sort of step up. Uh, it's happening in theater. It's happening with the museum situation. Tulsa, Oklahoma City. You look at Tulsa, for example, with George Kaiser's purchase of the Bob Dylan archives and building a museum there. The Woody Guthrie collection, for those who haven't been there, is, is thriving and wonderful. Tulsa's got a vibrant music scene going back many, many years to the 60s and Leon Russell's presence and activity there. Uh, and the Americana scene in Oklahoma. I mean, look, we take, great pride and credit in our, our musical progeny talent, whether it's Nashville and country music scene, or Kristen Chenoweth, Kelly O'Hara on Broadway, uh, and other performers across many, many musical genres. Uh, but a lot of those people are finding, for the same reasons I can practice here, that they can record here, they can stay here. they are great and talented musicians working with them, and they can release their music out of Oklahoma, whether they're touring or they're simply releasing digitally and satisfying their audiences. So I think that there's a lot of cross-pollination between what's going to be happening with new creative resources in the film and television industry and these other sort of art art centers. And that synergy is going to make this an increasingly attractive place for people to come and stay and work.
0: Which means we've come a long way since this uh – uh, when I was a high schooler, getting excited about seeing a stool that uh, Dustin Hoffman had sat on. Uh, we've moved on up a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Well, um, that's been an excellent view into what is an exciting future for Oklahoma City, Tulsa, and the entire state when it comes to these seismic changes we're seeing in terms of the entertainment industry. Now, Jay, I don't want you to depart without uh, getting to play my favorite part of each of these podcasts, which is uh, getting to know that crow uh, or Ordinarily, I inquire upon our guests, uh, you know, something about them that might not be immediately known by those who work with them and, and, and know them on a daily basis. But I'm intrigued because we're, we're talking about all things movies today. So I'm going to hone this a little bit for you, Jay. And I'll ask, uh, maybe back in your, in your early days, any inside baseball stories that you can give us about, uh, being in the entertainment industry? Any, uh, any famous names out there that you came across?
1: Well, I I try out of respect for my my clients' privacy not to talk about clients too much, but let me just go back. I'm very lucky to have found my way to this field. I played uh, in rock and roll bands in high school and college, you know, went to see lots and lots of movies. So finding my way to this work was uh, out of law school in Los Angeles was pretty special. The, The firm I first landed in probably was the springboard catapult to, you know, another 40 years of opportunities. The guys that founded that firm were very young entertainment lawyers, Tom Pollack, who's no longer with us. Uh, had uh, worked at a a larger Beverly Hills corporate firm, managed Bobby Kennedy's California campaign and sort of broke up a little bit after his assassination, found his way to a Thursday night poker game at the American Film Institute with two young filmmakers, one of whom was named Lucas and one Spielberg. And he did all of George's initial deals with Fox that resulted in some really groundbreaking uh, Star Wars deals that, that set the stage. Uh, in Los Angeles for a lot of patterns for, for film deal making.
0: Oh, that's a powerful poker table. That's, yeah, that's not big, my usual big, big poker family table. poker I table. I don't know what the <laughs> stakes were
1: at the time, but uh, you know in retrospect. Uh, Jake Bloom of that firm grew up in New York, kind of a street guy, smart lawyer, had been with a divorce firm that did a little bit of entertainment work in LA, as I recall, had got a call from somebody of his from the East Coast that said, Jake, I, you know, I know you're doing a little bit of entertainment work. I don't know if this will interest you. But I've met this boxer. He's got a screenplay. I don't know if it's any good, but can I have Sly call you?
0: So Jake, <laughs> Jake
1: became you know a, a lawyer for action stars, including Bruce Bruce Willis, who I knew for many many years, and then uh, Peter Deckham, who remains a very dear friend and mentor. Uh, it's really one of the deans of the entertainment law community, and I know uh, held in high regard and, and often sort of entertainment lawyer of the year. So I've really landed in a great place, you know, early on. Far as you know, representation, mentioned Reagan earlier, uh, I guess it's worth referencing. You know, I share a birthday, although not the same year. Uh, I've represented uh, a number of presidential nieces and nephews over the years, without necessarily shaking hands with presidents. Uh, but I did have the pleasure of representing Martin Sheen when he was one of my favorite presidents of the United States on the television show West Wing.
0: The West Wing. That's so, right. Uh, that's,
1: that's my that's my presidential
0: trifecta. President Bartlett. Exactly. Okay, there you go. My brain hasn't completely uh, left me yet. I was able to get a little recall there. Well, it just goes to show what an amazing background that you have, Jay, and we couldn't be happier that that you found your way here to the firm. It's a real feather in our cap and a real boon to those in uh, the business community that are interested in being a part of what sounds like the next big thing, and that is entertainment really taking off, so we appreciate that you're here as a resource for all our clients and the the Oklahoma business community. Well, Jay, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you for visiting with us today. We're always happy to go outside the box, and we're happy that you could join us today to do just that. Keep in mind, folks, that when you have a topic or an idea that you want us to discuss, you can send us a quick email at brieflylegal at We'll be sure to follow up with you and see what we can do. So that's it for now. Stay cool out there if you can. Stay healthy and uh, be well, my friends. In the meantime, this is your host, Adam Childers with the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy, and we look forward to seeing you next time here on Briefly Legal.